Today's reading is from Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. And it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thank you, Mark. Let's pray. Father, you have spoken to us through your son, Jesus Christ, today. We are on this mountain. God, help us to use our imaginations in a a way that puts us at the feet of Jesus, listening, hanging on every word that he says. God, our attention is arrested and ready for you to teach us a lesson. May your word have its way with us. And God, may your word today do what it always does by either confronting or comforting us, hurting us or healing us, cutting us or curing us. Your word is sufficient for all things, and they are for our good. So, God, I pray that we receive your lesson today, not just intellectually, not even in agreement, but in such a way that our lives look different because of it for our good. God, but also in a way that makes you look good to the watching world. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, Man, thankful for Amara reading our text today, who was a student who went to camp uh, this year. Amara is, um, she's been at the Creek since since I believe the third grade and has just grown up in this church and has faithfully served in so many ministry areas, uh, kids ministry, preschool ministry, VBS, all, all these different things. And uh, she will be going away to Tennessee Tech here shortly, so very thankful to get um, that young lady up and read our scripture today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to Matthew 6, and we have been uh, this summer working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, calling this series The Way, and so um, this week, uh, this past week, I spent with the kids at camp. I was down there. And uh, I love camp. Again, it's a special place in my heart. But So I'm leaving camp on Friday. 
and I'm pulling out uh, onto US 64 in Ocoee, Tennessee. I'm just right out of the gate. I'm just pulling out, take a left on US. And I see a church marquee sign, right? Those can go either really good or really bad, right? You've seen the signs before. And so I, I, this, this church marquee, this sign caught my eye and their sign read this. Jesus is the way to heaven, tickets inside. When I read that, I cringed. And I want to tell you why I cringed. Because that is a half-truth. And it has been said that a half-truth is a whole lie. Yes, when Jesus said in John 14, 6, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, yes, the Father is in heaven, and yes, the only way to get there is through believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ, forgiven people, right? Yes, Jesus is the way to heaven, true, but... Jesus is so, so much more than a ticket. He is a treasure. He's not just a ticket to heaven later. He is a treasure right now. And believing that Jesus is just the way to heaven or just a ticket to heaven, let me tell you what that produces. It produces, I think, is one of the major reasons why we still have the existence of cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity, of course, is not real Christianity. It's people who prayed a prayer of confession, perhaps even baptized, but have unchanged lives. They saw Jesus as this divine trained conductor who punched their tickets, and they're good now. And then they just live however they want to, unchanged lives. And so the existence of that is because people have reduced Jesus Christ to a ticket. Now, another reason or another thing that believe in Jesus is just a ticket, what that produces is it has uh, a, an effect on churchless Christians. People who are out there, churchless, who believe in Jesus, punch their tickets, but they don't care about church They go their own way because they think they're good with God because, again, he's punched their tickets. Believing that Jesus is just a ticket or the way to heaven, it might be the reason that you're here today. You have found your way to church, and yes, you may believe that Jesus is the way to heaven, but when the rubber meets the road, In many areas of your life, you still do things your own way. You either go the way of the world or you go the way of whatever way you want to go. And so therefore, your life is full of continued suffering, pain, heartache, lacks purpose. You're spiritually stagnant. You're just like in the same spot over and over again. And the reason is because you've reduced Jesus to a ticket to heaven. So much more than a ticket to heaven. He is a treasure for our lives right now. Jesus is not just the way to heaven. He is the way to life.
life abundantly. Life the way that it was meant to be lived. Uh, Life of joy, life of true happiness, satisfaction, true pleasure, true purpose, true meaning. Jesus is the way of life. So that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. He has pulled up his disciples on top of a mountainside to show them the way of life. What, the, what life is supposed to look like, he's teaching them the way. Now, I want you to understand something. When Jesus invites us up to this mountainside, he's not just teaching us the right way to live. Don't reduce Jesus to the right way to live versus the wrong way to live. It's so much more that he's inviting us into. He's inviting us into a greater life. So then, of course, we can live our greatest life in glory in the future. He's doing this in the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to show us the way. And in chapter 5, he started to show us the way of integrity, the way of ethics and morality, the way of marriage, the way of happiness, the way of reconciliation, the way of contentment, the way of love. These are things he showed us in chapter 5. In chapter 6, he starts to address what is the way to worship. What is the formal way to worship? He taught us the formal way of worship is through giving and praying and fasting. And then we saw that he wasn't really as concerned about the how we do that, but more the why, the heart of the matter. It's the matter of the heart. That that is the teaching of chapter 6. And then last week, he transitioned away from formal worship to a little bit more personal things. And he began to show us the way of wealth. Talked about money and possessions and treasures and heaven and those kind of things. And so today he makes this transition. I think it's a a meaningful and purposeful transition out of the way of wealth to start to show us the way of freedom from worry. Worry. We're going to learn today where freedom from from worry is found this is a very timely passage today about worry. There is no shortage of worry in our world. The world is a worry factory, and our own minds and our own hearts are worry factories. It's something that we all wrestle with. It's filling up a lot of space in our heads at all times. So we're going to address the idea of anxiety and worry today. And as I do this, And I've done this before at our church. I want you to know that of what kind of, because Jesus uses the word anxious here. And of course, that's the word where you get the word anxiety from. Um, I want to make sure that we're clear that we're not addressing clinical anxiety today. The idea that uh, sin has marred the human body in every facet, and that includes the brain. And so there are those who struggle clinically with either... um, um, just disorders of the brain, chemical imbalances, those kind of things where they get into these positions uh, where they just can't leave the house, dark rooms, uh, can't function, can't go to work, just getting these buckling situations. If that's you, 
we encourage you to obviously get professional help. Um, However, as you do seek professional help, we also want to remind you that everything is spiritual, that there's not a, a problem over here that Jesus says, hey, can't help you there, go see a doctor. Like that's not, that's not the God of the Bible, that everything is spiritual as well. So if you get physical help for those things, and maybe you should, that it, it gets to a position where you're able to translate to the spiritual because all things are spiritual. Um, also, as you wrestle with that idea, okay, is this a clinical anxiety or is this regular things that we deal with? Uh, no, and let's just be realistic here that we know that we live in a microwave short, um, shortcut society. So when, when sadness comes into our life, either a death of a loved one or just a divorce or just something you're going through in your life, listen, anybody can go to a doctor and get a script for an antidepressant. They, they just hand them out like candy. So that's not an issue. That's not, let's just be real on that deal. So before you jump to that, maybe, just maybe, you might be using medication as a crutch for Jesus. So you, you need to navigate through that balance. That's not an easy thing to, to, to work through. Maybe we can help you as a staff with our counselors and, and deciding how to weaponize that thing. But uh, today we're going to talk about more of the garden variety, everyday common Stress, worry, anxiety that keeps us awake at night. As I said, these things um, are very relevant to all of us here today. So in John 10.10, when he said that he came to give us life abundantly. Life abundantly. Anxiety and worry are... Abundant life thieves. They will steal that abundant life from us. They're almost this idea of this deadly carbon monoxide to our spiritual lives. And so we all face it. We all struggle. And so Jesus is going to address this issue today and download this sermon kind of into our minds and our hearts. And here's the way he's going to address this. Number one, the, 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 the title of the message is the way of freedom, which is freedom from worry. But the way that Jesus addresses this, um, as he has done throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to first address the negative. He's going to show us first the worry in the world, worry in the world, and then he's going to show us the way of freedom. So let's look at this together first in the worry in the world. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now notice, of course, the text begins with a therefore, and when we see that in Scripture, it calls us to look backwards. What is it therefore? Well, he's just coming off of addressing what last week? The dangers of storing up treasures on earth And he's encouraging us to store up treasures in heaven. So he's saying, hey, get your mind off of the earth. This is not your forever home. Get your your mind focused on the treasures in heaven. He's just trying to balance out there. It doesn't mean we escape the world and not think about the things of the earth. But he says, people who love Jesus, they think about the kingdom of God in heaven a lot more than they think about the kingdom of the earth. So he's referring back to that here in this idea 
when he says, don't be anxious about your life on earth. So he's just reinforcing what he's already said. That when your mind is captivated by the worries of the world, you're thinking too much about earth and not, a much, or not enough about the things of heaven. He's building a bridge here. He's addressing his disciples. Remember who he's speaking to here, these first century disciples of Jesus Christ. And when he says here, do not worry about what you eat and what you wear. Now, to them, that was a pretty big concern. They had just left homes, probably a lot of food, a lot of comfort, shelter, clothing. They left those things. Some of them, the disciples were in lucrative businesses, so they weren't hurting. And now they've decided to go follow a homeless guy. Jesus, I'm hungry over here. I didn't know it was going to be like this. Like my belly is just... It's like making noises, like sitting in church at like 11.45. It's grumbling. I'm hungry. Jesus, what are we going to drink? What are we going to eat? Where's our next meal? Where are we going to stay tonight? How am I going to get enough clothes? I'm wearing the same thing over and over again. These would have been very, very real concerns for real people. Like They're real people like me and you. And so these were valid, valid concerns of theirs. They were worries They were anxieties of the disciples. And some of that you have to, you know, we translate that to us, of course. And these things are still important. Food, we have to eat to live. And if you don't wear clothes, you get arrested, right? So these are are necessities of life. We need these things. And some parts of the world, they worry probably a little bit more about those things than us. There are real parts of a world that's way bigger than Smyrna, Tennessee, or in America, right? And there are people that do have great worry about where they're going to eat their next meal and where, what clothes are they going to wear. This is a real, real concern. For us, not as much. We're not as, as much worried about if we're going to eat, it's more about where we're going to eat. We're not as worried about about am I going to have a shirt to wear today? It's more about walking in your closet and picking the one you want to wear in your walk-in closet, right? These are typically the worries that we have. These are important things. And they're real as well. That's one of the biggest things that a lot of people are concerned with about money and am I going to be able to provide these things? But Jesus, notice he doesn't, he, he doesn't just say that our worry is confined to food and clothing. He says, do not be anxious about your life. So that's this idea of this bucket word. This huge bucket word that he talks about. Do not worry about everything, the things under heaven, the things on earth, your entire life. So what are the things that dominate our worry most of all? Most of us, it is money. Most of us, it's, it's staying awake at night, worrying about the world, the recession, $5 gas prices. How am I going to pay the bills? The stock market looks, man, a little flighty. I don't really know what's going to happen. My 401k, am I going to lose it here? I'm worried about that. 
I don't know if I'm going to get the next call that says you're fired, worried about jobs, careers. These are real things. These are on-the-ground things that we worry about all the time. You know what another big worry is for a lot of us? It's our kids, isn't it? We stay awake at night, grinding our teeth in the middle of the night, worrying about our kids. Are they saved? Do they, do they love Jesus? Will they ever follow Jesus? Are, are my own kids going to heaven? My, my kids in the house, my kids are away at college. Man, we have, some parents are consumed with worrying about their children. And quite honestly, it's because we ascribe too much value to them. What that happens, the way that looks in our life is we, we find helicopter mamas and drone daddies who are just ho- hovering over the kids. Don't get hurt. They're going to get sick. Oh my gosh, somebody's bullying them. They're just hovering over. They get consumed with worry over our children. Some of you are single in the room and you are consumed with worrying, am I ever going to get married? Will God ever bring me someone in my life? Worry fills and fills up a lot of space in our lives. There's the whole idea about even students. Students flooded with worry. Do people like me? Am I going to get the scholarship? Am I going to make the team? Some people are so worried about what other people think about them. That's why they pull out their phones every five seconds to check and see if someone has liked or commented on their last post. That is a consuming worry. These are the things of life that I think Jesus wants us to acknowledge. And when Jesus says that your life is more than food and drink, I believe what he's trying to get us to see here is you can trust me. You can depend upon me. I will give you your greatest needs. I will provide these things for you. The food, the clothing, the things of life, the things that you need, I will provide these things for you. Don't be anxious about these things because I got you. Now, what he goes on to do to give us two examples to paint the picture of this, of provision and trust. These are two nails to hang these truths on, and he uses the birds and the lilies to help us get it, right? Here he says this in verse 26 through 30. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of a field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, 
which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You know, Jesus is this master illustrator. And so he's sitting on this mountain. Uh, It's one of the places that we go to in Israel. I remember sitting there at the mountain where Jesus preached this sermon. And uh, he's sitting, there's rocks all around, which a teacher would have sat down on a rock. And he looks out in the field. And when you go there today, you see the lilies of the field. They're everywhere. The birds are flying all around. Today, 2,000 years after Jesus did, and that's what he's doing. He's looking around. He's like, oh, here's the lilies. Let me tell you about them. And here's these birds flying around. So he's using this idea. And he begins to show this idea of a lesser to greater than comparison. It's this idea that if the lesser is true, then how much more is the greater truth? He says, if the, if the birds are fed by God, and what are the birds? The birds, number one, they don't have souls. A soulless bird, him, nothing, he didn't look like God at all, a bird, if that bird isn't hungry or homeless, and, and if, if God provides for that bird, don't you think he's going to provide for you? Look at the lilies of the field. Look at them. They're just, they're just right there. They don't toil. They don't labor. They're beautiful. More beautiful than the, than the, the idea, the comparison here is that more beautiful than Solomon and all his glory. These beautiful lilies right here. And if God has clothed them, even though today they're alive and beautiful, but tomorrow they get thrown in the oven. It's the idea. That's what they use to make bread, by the way. We gather up the lilies of the field. They would throw them into the fire to use for bread. He says, if that's what happens to the lilies... You, how much more precious are you? Don't you think I'll clothe you if I do clothe a lily? That, that's his communication here. So these birds and the lilies look nothing like God. That you, creature, humans, you are the pinnacle of God's creation. You were created in the image of God, more precious than any other thing on the earth of creation and creature. Look how precious that you are. Don't you think I will provide for you? And of course, the answer is yes, he will provide for you if he does it for the birds and the lilies. Now, I think the, probably the best example, the most treasured and convincing example of God's provision of his people are in the book of Exodus. It's a very familiar story. Of course, God has delivered his people out of Egypt. They get out into uh, the university of the wilderness for 40 years. And as they are out there, these nomads are hungry and homeless and they are winching. A grumbling and complaining over and over again. Moses, we're so hungry. We're so thirsty. We need clothes. We need shelter. Can we just go back to Egypt where things were better there? At least our bellies will be full if we go back to Egypt. So 
they didn't deserve anything. They didn't deserve bread. They didn't deserve anything to eat because of their grumbling and complaining against God. But what does God do in his great mercy? He makes it rain, heaven bread, quail, splits a rock, water gushes forth, satisfying their bellies, the thirst. He gave them clothes that never wore out. I'm talking about sandals that never broke. That is how good God is at providing for his own. I love what David wrote about this this idea of God's provision in Psalm 37, 25. Listen to this. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. That's a passage that I, when I talk to people who are struggling financially with worry about where the meal, the house, the rent, all of these things, that's a passage that I remind people of, a precious truth of God, that if you are the righteous, of course, that means you have the righteousness of Christ, not your own righteousness. But God will never, ever require or ask you to beg for bread. Here's what that looks like. And I thought about this illustration. I think it's true. Illustrations are often imperfect. But if that's true, and it is, then Christians should never have to be homeless paupers on the side of the interstate holding up cardboard signs that say, Hungry, help me. That is, of course, unless God gives them affliction for a very specific purpose. That's possible. But as this principle, God says, you're righteous. You're mine. You're my children. You will never, ever have to beg for bread if you're a follower of Jesus. You might say, well, how does that happen? Well, primarily through the means of the church. You're here and you lose your house, you'll get fed. You'll get fed by the people right around you here. They'll bring you food. You don't have a place to stay, someone in this congregation will shelter you. You don't have clothes, someone's got a lot, a lot of clothes in their closet and they'll give them to you because the righteous will never have to beg for bread. This is a beautiful, beautiful truth. Beautiful truth. Now, I want to show you something in verse 30 that kind of caught my attention. And it shows us what the root of worry is. Like, you know how you, you know those, the, you're in your landscaping and you have to go to the root to really solve the issue where it still keeps coming up? The root of worry, according to verse 30, is little faith in a big God. He says, you worry, your God is too small. You have a little faith. Now, that doesn't mean there's no faith. It means it's inadequate. It's a little faith, and you have a little faith in a big God. Now, that's a, that's a little bit of a, a statement that should kind of catch your, catch your attention here because I think when sometimes people say, I'm struggling with a little worry. I'm struggling with a little anxiety. I struggle there. I don't think we often ponder and say, oh, my faith is weak. 
Because that's a little more personal, right? I could struggle with this, but when you, t- you start talking about me and I have enough, enough faith, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying here, is that a worry-filled life that is consumed with a lot of anxiety over the things of the world, it is directly tied to our faith. And I want to park on this point here, because, and, and I know it stings a little bit, but when we have anxiety and fear and worry, we do not believe in those moments that God is good and he is sovereign. It is a direct contradiction, unbelief in the God of the Bible. When we don't have enough money and we're sitting around, I just don't know how we're going to make it. What we're saying is, God, you are not good and sovereign. In those moments, we're just riddled with fear over the future of our children, what's going to happen with them. Ultimately, what we are saying is, God, you are not good and you are not sovereign. And this is why we have to admit these things begin to begin the work of overcoming them if we don't, if we don't address it being a faith issue. And of course, we know that God is gracious into helping those who admit they have unbelief. Help me in my unbelief, Mark, right? So, but it is a root issue here of a lack of faith. Now, let's transition to the second point here because Jesus doesn't just leave us in this warning against worry. Or not just this, hey, this is the way of the world. He graciously gives us a way to experience freedom from worry. So let's look at it. Very, very clear. Freedom in the kingdom. And it is found in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. This is the solution to being freed up from the bondage, the shackles of worry and anxiety. But before we jump into <laughs> the thing, look, notice what he doesn't say the solution for worry and anxiety is. So here's what he, it's not these things. He'll tell us what it is. It's, it's not that we just go around and sing, don't worry, be happy. His solution for worry and anxiety is not, hey, take a vacation, although vacations are good, right? He doesn't say, hey, man, all you need to do is just get a corona on the beach with Snoop Dogg, Uh, or hey, the solution to anxiety and worry, legalize marijuana. Oh, that if I could just knock off the edge a little bit with some marijuana, then I, I could overcome my anxiousness and my anxiety. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, get a new spouse, seek a new spouse, then you won't have worry. Seek a new job, seek a new career. That's not the solution to overcome anxiety and worry. He says the solution is to seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to unpack what that means here. 
Here's what he's not saying again. He's not saying don't care about all of those things. Or he's not saying, he's not teaching about escapism here. So see, so you just, like, I just hate the world. I'm going to move to Alaska and I'm going to be a homesteader. That's not what he's teaching here. Just stop caring about everything. That's not what he's teaching here. What he is teaching us here is to seek the kingdom of God more than or over than all of those cares in the world. Over them. More than those things. Seek the kingdom over your cares and concerns. Seek the kingdom over your career. Seek the kingdom over your kids. Seek the kingdom over those things that we so often worry about. This is why I believe that some of you might be so filled with anxiety and worry and it just dominates your life. You just can't catch a breath. Here's the reason, and I say this with love. It's because you're so busy focusing on the kingdom of one instead of the kingdom of God. You're living in this kingdom of your own self. Your life is dominated by these things underneath heaven. And so therefore your life is full of anxiety and worry. And Jesus is saying, stop looking horizontal. Look vertical. Get your eyes upward instead of sideward. Seek the kingdom. That's kind of vague, right? Seek the kingdom of God. That's kind of Christianese, right? That's kind of, oh, seek the kingdom of God. Like, what does that mean? What does seeking the kingdom of God mean? Here's what it means. Number one, it means to seek the king of the kingdom. That's the first thing. Not the stuff of the kingdom. Not do a lot of things that, you know, will get you a lot of favor from God. God I beg you, God, would you give me a spouse, give me the house, give me the health and wealth. Those are seeking the hand of God. I'm talking about seeking the king of the kingdom. Him, his face, his person, who he is. This is our greatest need, church, is to seek the king of the kingdom. How do you seek the king of the kingdom? Well, you start by listening to the king's voice. If you never crack open your Bible, are you really seeking the king? You're definitely not seeking the kingdom. This is the primary way that we seek the king, his word. We consume his word. We love his word. It's sweeter than honey. And isn't that different than checking a box on a reading plan? It is. Seek the king of the kingdom. Now, here's some other ways that we seek the kingdom. We seek the kingdom by seeking the ear of the king, praying to God. That's seeking the kingdom. Seeking the kingdom is also seeking to serve the bride of Christ, which is the king's bride. This, getting busy serving and seeking the kingdom of God in the church. Some of you are so faithful at this. You seek the kingdom every week. You're serving in the church, doing things, hospitality, 
tech people, preschool kids, student, life group. Like you're, serve, like you're seeking the kingdom when you do those things. You're filling your time with kingdom things. And while others seek a sermon and don't seek to serve the church in any way. Man, that's a call to you. If this is your church home, seek the kingdom and start serving the kingdom. Those blue cards, there's a lot of things you could do. Student ministry is one of those things, but it's not the only thing. There's a lot of things that you need to do to seek the kingdom, and that's one of those things. Let your, those who have ears, let them hear. Seek God's mission. Seek the king's mission. Seeking the kingdom means going to your neighbor, getting to know your neighbor, first of all. Just introducing yourself to a neighbor. Being on mission for the king. Invite him to the house. Show the hospitality of the king. Maybe get to the gospel. That is seeking the kingdom. The idea that Jesus is communicating is simply this. If you are so busy over here building your kingdom of one... Yes, your life is going to be filled with a lot of worry and anxiety. That what we do is we put the kingdom of God first in our life. We busy ourselves so much with seeking the kingdom of God that these worries, they kind of diminish in their volume. They don't seem as loud over here when we're so busy seeking the kingdom of God. I'll give you an example. Uh, last October, um, I went on my first sabbatical. I didn't really know what a sabbatical was, to be honest with you. I've only been doing ministry for like 10 years, so like, sabbatical, what's that? Uh, when I went on sabbatical for six weeks, uh, some of the people in church were freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? Like, where's he going? Is he, is he, is he burning out? Well, is he sick? They're texting me, calling me, and I'm like, I forgot to really talk about it. But it was not something like that. It was something that we did as LifePoint elders uh, for people who had served in ministry for seven years on our elder team, we were just going to graciously give six weeks of kind of a, um, a, the sabbatical idea to, of a refreshment, soul refreshment, um, get away from the world kind of thing. And so um, I did that. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever gone through. Well, let me tell you about week one. Week one was um, I spent at a cabin in Sparta, Tennessee. My, my mother-in-law has a, a cabin up there. And so as I did that, um, I, because I have worry too, just like you, I worry, I worry about my, my wife. Is she okay? How's she doing? Does she need my help? Am I, am I doing enough? I don't know. I worry about my kids. I worry about the decisions that they make. I worry about, do they love Jesus? Do they really love Jesus? Are they really saved? What's going to happen when they do this or they do that? I worry like you worry. I worry about you. I worry about this church. I roll over at 3 a.m. a lot of nights because I've heard stories from a lot of people in the church that I hurt. I have concern. So what I did that week by getting away from the noise of the world, here's what I did. As I did that, the, the elders of the team said, hey, you're, you're going to unplug from all contact and communication uh, from the internal staff, those things. Like, we have a thing called Slack. Maybe you've heard of it. But like, we're, ta- we're taking you off, man. 
the text group that we normally text, you're gone. We're taking you off of these things. Your, your email, you do the uh, out-of-office replies on those things. We will not contact you unless it is an emergency. So I got to leave all of those things behind. I didn't fight him on that one. I promise you I didn't. So I, I said, yeah, that's great. Uh, also that week, here's what they did. I deactivated my Facebook. So I didn't care who was liking what. Wasn't concerned scrolling through and trying to find out what you guys ate for breakfast. I was like, I was, that's okay, I'm, I'm good. So I'm unplugging from Facebook. Um, I'm unplugging from Twitter, which is old guy TikTok. Y'all know that. Um, I, I'm not concerned about those things. I'm not caught up in those things. I'm not scrolling through Marketplace looking to go buy something else. As I get in those spaces, I'm not getting... Bad news, bills, not getting any emails, complaining about the previous week's sermon. (laughs) And as I did those things, as the, the cell phone, the bars on my cell phone, the reception where I was, it just diminished, diminished, diminished as further out I go. Well, as I did that, so did my anxiety and my worry diminish, 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 diminish. But I had to fill that space with something, though, because that's not reality. Like, if you, if you step away from the world, something's going to fill that space. Well, this is where I began to seek the kingdom of God. I began to wake up in the morning. I began to seek the king's face every day from I woke at probably 6 a.m. till 10 o'clock at night, and I just was in my Bible all day. It was awesome. Great. Knowing him, who are you, God? Tell me more about you. God, show me my failures as a pastor. You have given me an incredible blessing of people that I'm unworthy to shepherd. How can I love them better? How can I help uh, uh, line up with your mission in the world? Where do we need to grow as a church? Begin to ask God and seek his face for these things. I begin to... Um, just dream about things at Life Point Church. I, my mind was filled with seeking the kingdom of God. That was the point. And as I said, my, as the noise were distracted, those things were away from the world, and the kingdom of God flooded my mind, my anxiety and my worry went away. It didn't mean that I didn't care about my wife, my kids, or job and church. It didn't mean it. It just means that I wasn't consumed with it. Big difference. And I think that's the idea as I was able to do that and I was able to find rest in Jesus that week. Find rest in him. Uh, there's a story about a lady named Corey Tinboom. You might have heard a story about Corey Tinboom. She was a Christian in World War II who had hid Nazis. I'm sorry, hid Jews from the Nazis in her home. Her family had housed some of the um, Jews and um, they're tucking them away and hiding them, of course, from the Nazis. And um, eventually she was arrested for for doing that. But I, I think about her life. She was a follower of Christ. That if anybody had reason for worry, it was her. She's in a home with her own family, children, all of them around. And at any moment, if the Nazis come in and find that they're hiding the Jews, she's going to prison 
or she's going to be killed. As I said, eventually she was arrested and she went on to write a book about worry. This is what she said about worry. Look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. That sums up the lesson today. Look around the world and you will be very distressed. It's a worry factory out there, isn't it? Every five minutes a story comes on the news. And if you look around the world, the only solution, you're going to be distressed at some level by looking at the world. Looking at yourself. I know the world tells you that look inside yourself and you'll find purpose and meaning. And be- No, no you won't. That's a lie from the pit of hell. When you look inside yourself, all you're going to be is depressed. There's nothing in here that takes away my worry and anxiety. Nothing in you that does that either. But when we look at Jesus, that is where we will find the rest that our souls long for. It's all about Jesus. It always is about Jesus. Everything always comes back to Jesus. And you might say, well, how exactly does that Come back to Jesus. I'm glad you asked, even though you didn't. Uh, Let me explain it like this. The band's going to come out, too. In the original creation of the world, there was no worry. There was no anxiety. God created perfect peace with God and man to provide for them forever and ever. They would never have to worry about a meal. They never worry about clothes because they were naked, but... (laughs) Uh, they, they never worried about shelter. God was a good shepherd who would always provide for his children, and it was amazing. They never worried about marriage and future, and it was just glorious. And then we know that as Adam and Eve's perfect teeth broke through that fruit, they ate a flood, a tidal wave of worry and anxiety flooded into the world. Not only did it flood the world, it flooded the minds and the hearts of Adam and Eve. And every single person born after are all born with great worry, great anxiety, great fears about all sorts of things. Incapable of finding the rest that we need. Incapable of calming our restless minds on our own. There's nothing that we can do. We try all these shortcuts to try to make the anxiety and the worry go away, but they never last, do they? The vacations always come to an end. Nothing else works. And then, of course, the beautiful news of Jesus Christ comes. God puts on flesh, comes as Jesus, who lived a worry-free anxiety-free life. No, not for a millisecond did Jesus ever worry on if God was going to provide for him. Where he was going to sleep. And keep in mind, he's homeless. Never did he worry. Would his father provide for him? And after he lived that worry-free life, of course, he goes to the cross to die for all 
of us who are consumed and guilty of unbelief, little faith, and worry-filled lives. He is paying the price for us doubting God. And for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his life, his death, and his resurrection, not only do you get heaven later, you get life right now and life, abundant life right now. And then the good news, of course, of the story as it ends, he gives us everything that we need. Isn't that the way the story ended here at the end? All these things will be added to you. Listen to Philippians 4.19, and we'll close with this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. That promise is only available for those who are in Christ. So are you in Christ? Not in church, not in formal religion, not in a building, but are you in Christ? Christ, because when you're in Christ, the riches of the world are available to you. If you are unsure about that, or you want to talk with someone today when you leave, we would love to do that. You can stick around. You can take one of those blue cards. Somebody reach out to you this week if that's more comfortable for you. Um, Man, we want to talk to you about Christ and the peace and freedom that is found in him. Man, let me pray for us, and then we'll sing our way out. Father, we love you. And you are such a merciful, gracious God. We are doubt-filled, restless worriers. (laughs) God, we, we doubt you all the time. But you are such a merciful God that even though we look at you and say we don't believe, you still love us. You don't turn your back from those who love Jesus Christ. So thank you for your abundant mercy. But God, would you help us to walk more in that confidence and assurance that you are a good God. Help us to overcome the worry and the fear and the anxiety in our life. To become more like Jesus. Do these things for our good and for the world to know that you are good. We ask these things in Christ's name.